Yeah, definitely. So we see you hear all the news stories on the millennials, how they're um, they're getting married later, they're buying a house later, and they are doing many of those milestones later. They're often getting their first real job later than the baby boom did. And part of it is because they're getting much more education. So they are, and they're then entering the job market, you know, with quite a bit of student debt that they're dealing with. But the flip side is, um, despite that they're doing sort of these things later in terms of the first real job and getting the house and getting married and all of that, they actually are much more focused on retirement and they've started investing at a younger age than the baby boom did before them. So here's the big question. Have you ever been so financially frustrated from years of poor financial decisions only to wonder, why didn't they teach me in school? anything about how to manage money. I've spent the last 20 years learning the secrets to how money really works and how to use it to get financially free on a goal to retire early. I've realized how much of an impact we could have on the world by teaching financial literacy, entrepreneurship, and a successful mindset. Join me as I interview some of the world's most successful business owners, coaches, and parents to get them to share their secrets on how you can not only learn, but teach these lessons to your kids to become financially free and impact your children's financial trajectory so they can avoid the frustration and go on to do great things. I'm Cody Laughlin, and this is the Money Talkers Podcast. Welcome back to Money Talkers with your host, Cody Laughlin. I have a special guest here today. I have Sarah Holden here with me. She is a Senior Director of Retirement and Investor Research at the Investment Company Institute, ICI. It's the leading association representing regulated funds globally, including U.S. mutual funds and exchange-traded funds. Sarah has a PhD in economics and has also studied retirement trends and policy, as well as the behavior of investors for decades, which I'm excited to dive into because I am a money nerd and I want to talk about these things. So I want to say welcome to the show, sir. Oh, Cody, thanks so much for having me. <laughs> so um, I read off what ICI is. Can you give me the Cliff Notes uh, version of exactly kind of what you guys do and what your role is in the market? Sure. So uh, as you said, we represent the fund industry. And what this means is that we'll go before the regulators or up to Capitol Hill whenever there are any proposals out there that might impact either mutual fund investors or exchange traded fund investors or retirement savers. Uh, because so many retirement savers are indeed building that nest egg using funds. Uh, so just as an example, if the you know, Department of Labor were to decide to change the rules around around disclosure and 401k plans, perhaps deciding that electronic delivery would be better, we would comment on whether that's a good idea. Uh, so uh, that's our main reason for being is uh, really getting the voice of the investors up to the regulators or up to Capitol Hill. I'm within our research department, and so we've got um, about 45 people in the research department overall, and we gather data on the entire fund industry, but then my group also gathers data on retirement savers. And we really take a multi-pronged approach to that. So we will estimate the total estimate assets that there are uh, saved for retirement. 
We also do household surveys. So if we've ever called you at home and, <laughs> and asked you about your retirement savings, I, I hope you'll answer uh, because we really do want to hear from the American public in terms of how they're doing in their 401k plans. We also talk to IRA investors to see why they rolled over or how they decided where to open that IRA. And all of this just so that we can really understand how to help people save for what's really a very important goal, uh, which is retirement. And so if you guys are making those calls, have you been making them recently? I'm really curious what the, what the current market and, and uh, what, the, what the actual data bears out to what, instead of just the emotional side of it. And so what are you guys seeing now? Yeah, so our, the big survey we do of all U.S. households to find out about their mutual fund ownership as well as their ownership of 401k plans or IRAs uh, happened over the summer, and we're just processing mm. those data now. Uh, we did a survey last fall, though, that was actually online. Uh, so it's a sample of people who were uh, solicited or got into the sample by being called or, or sent an envelope at home so that it is a representative group who have agreed to be surveyed online. And we asked them actually about their feelings on the stock market and on saving for retirement because, as you know, the market can deal you some ups and some downs and there's a concern or a question of how will people respond to that and what we see when we look at for example the 401k savers uh, they really understand uh, that they're doing it paycheck by paycheck little by little and eight and ten of them say you know i am less worried about short-term fluctuations because I know that I'm doing this little by little. So they're not worried about trying to time the market because they're gonna spend time in the market and they're getting into the market in these little bite-sized pieces. So it's important, you know, interesting to see the mindset of, you know, it's a long-term goal, saving for retirement. It's something you do over your whole career. And they understand that if they're doing it little by little, so in the market has its moments, uh, they sort of ride out the storm. You know what? I think that um, a, a, just a piece that kind of jumps out for me as you were saying that, um, you said eight out of 10, no, it's paycheck by paycheck and to ride it. I wonder if that's a big shift because, you know, there's a lot of panic people in there. And I think if they're, if they're, they know that, you know, that's a, we just went through like the biggest dollar cost averaging like episode you probably could ever write, <laughs> like ever rewrite, like it's just down so far and then shot back up. And like, if you were just putting in paycheck, I'd say paycheck, it was, you actually were totally, you actually benefited from it. Um, but if you were a panic button pusher, then it could have been really bad, um, set you back quite a bit. And if you have that many people saying, no, I know how this works now. I feel like that's probably a big shift from 10 or 20 years ago um, because of the, the amount of education that we're putting into the investors now. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think this is what it highlights for our system is really that uh, so many people, their first invest, investing experience happens at work with their first job. So if I'm a millennial or a Gen Z and I'm starting my first job, chances are I'm going to have a 401k plan offered to me, so a defined contribution plan. And I may be automatically enrolled or I may have to sign up to get in. And then once I get into that plan, the plan sponsor really has a whole lot of education. So there will be a website 
for the plan that will explain compounding and how important it is to get in early so your savings can grow. It will explain diversification that, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Uh, you want to have a mix of, uh, you know, exposure in terms of stocks and bonds. And even within stocks, you might think about the U.S. versus foreign markets. You'll want to think about what sectors you're going into. So you'll want to diversify. And they'll have all this information in terms of to, to give you that background and that understanding in order to participate in the plan. And to the point of your podcast, you know, so I'm learning that at my first job it actually would be really helpful to learn a bunch of this before my first job because with compounding the sooner you start the longer it can grow the more it can you know get to a big nest egg for you and sort of getting those habits in early when you're young is really important in terms of thinking about that first paycheck comes in and what are you going to do with it or you know your allowance you know is given to you what are you going to do with it and the first thought most kids have and many adults have as well is, well, what can I buy with it? And the Americans view on saving is that I bought something on sale because if I bought <laughs> it on sale, I, I saved money, but that's not really saving. Saving is taking some of that money that came in and putting it aside, whether you're putting it aside for an emergency or you're putting it aside to buy a home or you're putting it aside to buy a car or you're putting it aside for your retirement. You're putting it aside. You're not spending it. And that's what saving is. Uh, it's not getting something on sale. And then you also might want to think about there are others who might be less fortunate than you. So you may want to make a donation to a charity or to a, you know, if you're into the environment or nature or whatever, there may be something you want to give something back and that will make you, you know, be nice for you know, the environment or whatever cause you're after, um, make you feel good. And then after you've done those two things, then you can think about what you're going to spend. And I think that, you know, starting those, those ideas of, you know, holding some back for the future, younger, will make it easier as you go forward uh, in life. But a lot of, I think, uh, what we're seeing in terms of the retirement savers is definitely the result of the efforts of that plan sponsor and the financial services firm working with them on all of the education that goes into, first of all, highlighting that it's important to save for retirement. Nine out of 10 uh, defined contribution plan participants say they appreciate that the plan sponsor really pointed out to them they should think about the long term and not their current needs. So that's a very basic thought, but they are, you know, agreed that that was good that that was pointed out to them. And then they understand that it's a long term process. And they understand, you know, the, that it's going to this little by little get them there. So I think that that education goes into a, what we're seeing now is a very calm mindset as we go through um, these periods of market volatility. You know, that's a. Um, I, I just I, I'm really like encouraged by the numbers that you're you've got to put it there because it feels like that there really is an effort to get the information to people. You know, that's one of the my biggest gripes um, about the whole setup is that we don't even, you know, we don't offer most, I won't say we won't offer any of this information, but we don't offer very much of this information in our primary schooling, right? And I had a, uh, I had a, I was on a podcast and um, I had a guest ask me, they said, well, you know, how, how, um, they said that the, the administrations or administrators said that they don't feel that personal finance is very effective to be taught in the classroom. 
And what are my thoughts about that? My answer to that question was, well, how effective is not teaching it? Right. right? <laughs> and so um, my, uh, are, are you seeing younger and younger people starting to like educate themselves earlier and earlier? Because I was under the impression, I saw something where I saw Experian had done a survey and they said that 78% of Generation Z, which you had mentioned earlier, um, wanted financial education which I was like, I, I saw that. And I mean, I lit up because I was like, I didn't even know what financial education was when I was in school. You know, and these kids are in a totally different era where they're on self-taught and they're on access, information on access. And so they're wanting this information. And so I'm just curious if you're seeing like trends to where, you know, younger and younger, the education portion is coming, the retirement part of it and the pieces because we're very self-reliant now. You know, you're going to, you're going to be responsible for your own healthcare. You're going to be responsible for your own retirement. You're going to be, you know, it's kind of like these social nets that we have put in place are, are not nearly as, I don't know, prevalent, you know, like with uh, pensions and the companies will take care of you and all that, you know, same job 30 years and, you know, not this mobility piece that we're taking money around with us. And I'm just curious your thoughts on like, if you're seeing, if you all are seeing more of a generational, like, are they educating themselves better now? Yeah, definitely. So we see you hear all the news stories on the millennials, how they're, um, they're getting married later, they're buying a house later, and they are doing many of those milestones later, they're often getting their first real job later than the baby boom did. And part of it is because they're getting much more education. So they are, and they're then are entering the job market, you know, with quite a bit of student debt that they're dealing with. But the flip side is, um, despite that they're doing sort of these things later in terms of the first real job and getting the house and getting married and all of that, they actually are much more focused on retirement and they've started investing at a younger age than the baby boom did before them. And we see this in our surveys because we ask, when did, you, when did you get your first mutual fund? And the millennials did it at a younger age than the baby boom did. And so I think in large part it's because with that first job, they are indeed being offered an investment opportunity through that 401k plan. And I would note, you mentioned uh, in passing sort of the, you know, the baby boom generation started their job probably with a defined benefit plan. And the defined benefit plan, or the, people call it the pension plan, although technically the 401k is a pension as well, but uh, the, you know, traditional pension. I did not know that. Yeah, it's all under the same thing at the Department of Labor. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, I learned something today, like I said. So it's just a question right. of whether it's defined benefit. With defined benefit, what you get is based on your years at the company and your salary. And so they'll have a formula uh, and then they will pay you, um, in many cases, actually they'll give it to you. You can choose a lump sum or they'll pay it to you as a, an annuity for, for the remainder of your life or your spouse as well, uh, if you're married. So you have, um, the benefit is defined by how long you're there and what your salary is. And you're not investing, you don't have an account in your name. Whereas with the defined contribution, the thing that's defined is how much you put in. And so there you are deciding how much to put in and you want to be sure you put in enough to get uh, for sure the employer contribution because in nine out of 10 participants are in a 401k plan where the employer actually puts money into their account. But what you get put into your account often depends on how much you put in. So you want to be sure that you act to take 
full advantage of that offering. This is a benefit. Uh, it was part of the package when they, you know you took the job. You want to be sure you don't leave that money on the table. So those are the two sort of types of pensions that you could be offered. The baby boom was typically offered the defined benefit, whereas now much more the offering is the 401k or the defined contribution. And actually the 401k or defined contribution is a much better design for the American worker, because as you mentioned, we are a mobile workforce and we tumble our way through our careers, reinventing ourselves and changing jobs as we go. And with that defined benefit plan, really to benefit from it, you had to be there that full 30 years and you had to retire from that company to get a really nice benefit. And so many people didn't stay long enough to become vested, which meant they didn't stay long enough to really get the full benefit. Or if you were at a defined benefit plan early in your career, think about your salary early in your career. It's quite low. You leave that behind. So now you have this promise of we're going to pay you X percent of your salary, you know, when you finally reach retirement. And it's, it doesn't get adjusted for inflation. It doesn't get adjusted for anything. It just sits there. Whereas with the defined contribution plan, that first dollar that you put into that account and you leave it in there, it will compound over the rest of your career, no matter where you go. And you may decide you want to leave it at that employer's plan. If you have a big enough balance, you can typically do that if you like the investment options in that plan. Or you can always roll it to an IRA, in which case you can consolidate all your assets in one place and keep track of them. We know we survey people about that and they say, yeah, I didn't want to leave it behind. I was afraid I was going to lose it. I wanted to consolidate. Um, sometimes they wanted more investment options. Uh, with the IRA, you've got really the whole retail market sort of available to you. So you can consolidate it, carry it with you through your career. But unlike the defined benefit plan benefit, um, you know, those early years in your career in the DB, if you don't stay for a whole career at that place, really didn't help you much. So it's, uh, I think um, in terms of the younger generation, they're entering a world where they're being introduced to the investing at a younger age, starting at a younger age, and those early first dollars can actually, you know, grow for the next 45 years. Yeah, I did it on a, um, on a scale. I, did, I was teaching a class for some younger people, and uh, I showed them, you know, how money multiplies, right? And then basically, Bob, I did the calculation. I did 16 to 76 because the way, the way we're trending, they're going to live to be 100. Right. Um, right? <laughs> if we don't turn into computers, but that's another story. So <laughs> but, that's another um, podcast for another exactly. day. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a totally different <laughs> podcast. So, um, but I, so I did that. I showed them, you know, I had, I was actually pretty encouraged because I said, you know, how many of you have earned money? And almost every one of the kids put their hands up. I said, how many of you have earned uh, $10 an hour? And they all kept their hands up, you know, I said, okay, great. And I was like, could you do one hour a week? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, if you could do that $10 a week, from 16 to 76, you're putting in around $32,000. I was like, it turns between 1.8 to $2.1 million if you watch the fees. You know, and then we, I backed out the fees. I said, if you have a one and a half percent fee, that 1.8 turns into 600,000. I'm like, how? You know, and they were just like, they got the same look I got when I was 19 and I saw the compounding interest like that. And I was like, why? Like, why is anybody talking about these things? You know, because it was so, it's, it's you're going to get, you're going to get the money tests, right? no matter what you do, whether you study for them or not, you know? And so I'd love for there to be, you know, I love that the fact that you're telling me that like more people are very, are getting much more educated about it. And then it's becoming a focus for them because that's very encouraging 
because you know the length of time that they have ahead of them if they got started early makes massive differences um and so I was wondering if maybe you could talk to me a little bit about, because I don't know how, how much, you know, with mutual funds and things like that. I was kind of, I, I know there was a boom kind of like of ETFs, exchange traded funds. And they were like, Oh, these are going to wipe out the mutual funds, but I don't think they had done that at all. I don't know what, what, what is the dynamic in there that you're seeing? Are you seeing a, a shift to either one of them or is there space in the sand in, in the, in the uh, sandbox for boat for everybody? Like what, what are you guys seeing on the ground? Yeah, so we've had growth in both. So you're right, um, ETFs were sort of the new kids on the block a little over uh, 25 years ago. And they've now grown to $4.6 trillion in assets. And so they are, you know, traded during throughout the day, they're typically an index investment. Um, mutual funds have $22 trillion in assets. Um, some of that's money market funds, which is a cash management tool, but a lot of it is actually actively managed funds. Um, these can be stock funds or bond funds. And then there are index funds. So with index, you are buying into something like the S&P 500, where the fund will just follow that index and, and perform like that index basically. And I think to your answer of, you know, are they, they're definitely competing with each other. So highly competitive market. And there's sort of a, a you know, better together uh, approach in terms of if I'm wanting some, you know, plain vanilla investing like the S&P 500, perhaps I get an ETF or I go into a, an index fund. But if I'm gonna invest in emerging markets or something where maybe a little more research would be warranted, then I'll go for something that's active. And we see that advisors will put both index and active together. And we see that in 401k plans, it's typical to have both index and active investment options offered to people. And then, you know, sort of to the point of uh, how much research do you want to do on all of this? We've also, well, keeping choice. So for the do-it-yourself investors, there's, you know, thousands of funds out there you can choose from in the retail market. So in your IRA, literally thousands of funds you can choose from. Uh, if you're in a 401k plan, the plan sponsor will have narrowed that list down for you typically. And so there's, you know, more than 20 options on average in the typical 401k plan. And they're designed to cover a range of risk and return because we've got some younger participants who might want to take on more risk, but we've got some older participants who maybe want to be more focused on getting income because they're going to be heading towards retirement. And so that's, again, still great for the do-it-yourself investor. But there are some people who, you know, we're busy uh, and maybe asset allocation is, is not your cup of tea, in which case you can hand that off to an investment professional and a really easy way to do that uh, if you're saving for retirement is with a target date fund. And a target date fund, all you have to know to choose the target date fund is have a rough idea of what year you're gonna retire. And then you choose the target date fund that has that year in its name. And the fund, if you're young, will be focused on equity now. Uh, so it'll be diversified. It'll have some fixed income. It'll be mostly equities or stocks. And then as you're getting older and as the fund is approaching and passing that target date, it's going to rebalance automatically for you to become focused on fixed income. Because as you enter retirement, that's what your focus is going to be shifting toward. That said, I would note they do still own stocks at that point and for quite a while after, because if you think about it, to your point earlier, if some of these people are gonna to live to be 100 or even if you're gonna make it to 85 or 90, you've got 
quite a few years of investing after your working career. So it's not the end of your investing career when you retire. So there will still be a stock component, but this will all be handled under the hood of the fund. So the fund will automatically rebalance, be diversified for you, and you can sort of step back from managing that because you've now handed it off to investment professionals who will take care of that for you. Uh, so long answer to your question there, but uh, lots of choices. And you can decide if you're do it yourself and you're going to embrace all those choices, or you can go to something like a target date fund. If you're a retail investor, investor um, out in the market, you could actually decide if you want to go to a financial advisor to help you, or you can go directly online to a fund company or a discount brokerage. So really sort of know yourself and determine how much help you want, whether you want that advice or whether you're more, let's research it and go for it myself. And you can do either uh, in the IRA space. That's very interesting. So the, um, can you kind of dive into the difference between an IRA and a 401k? Sure. So the 401k is offered by an employer. And actually, if you are self-employed, you can set one up for yourself. So uh, a 401k can be for one person or it can be for, uh, you know, an enormous corporation. Uh, but it's up to the employer uh, to offer that plan. And so when you uh, go to your job, you will be told whether there is such a plan. Um, the 401k is the private sector company version. If you work for a university or a research organization or a hospital, your plan might be called a 403B. And that's because it's under a different section of the Internal Revenue Code. So 401k is one section, 403b is another section. Um, that doesn't matter. They're basically the same thing. The idea there is you want to be sure you're contributing, make sure you're taking full advantage of the employer match if there's one offered, and there often is an employer contribution. And then you look at the range of investment options that the plan sponsor has offered for you. So that's something you get at work. Um, the IRA or the individual retirement account is something that you open up for yourself outside of your workplace. So this is, uh, as its name suggests, it's for an individual. And you can set one up anywhere you'd like, really. Uh, they're offered all across the you know, financial services firm spectrum. So about three quarters of IRA owning households will go to a financial advisor or a broker to open up their IRA. Uh, we have about three in 10 decide they're just going direct online. So they either literally went to a mutual fund company website and opened it up or went to a discount broker website and opened it up. And then once you've opened the IRA, depending on where you've opened it, that then tells you what your list of options are in terms of investments. And it typically the world is your oyster there because it's the full retail market essentially. Uh, so you could choose uh, to invest in exchange traded funds or mutual funds. You could buy individual stocks if you just wanted to buy stocks or bonds. Uh, so a really full range of choices there. And so there it's up to you to, you know, figure out, do I want help? Do I want an advisor or do I want to go direct and to open up that account yourself? And you typically need to have earnings, although a recent change uh, with the SECURE Act, which was enacted at the end of last year, is that some education grant money is now eligible uh, to be contributed to IRAs. So you might want to, if you've got uh, any young uh, people in your audience who at this point in their life are, are getting more sort of education grant type money, uh, should look to see whether it qualifies uh, to be contributed to an IRA. And so you uh, basically need the earnings uh, to make a contribution. 
choose where you're going to open the IRA, and then you put the money in and choose the investments. And I would also note, um, early, what I think is a fun feature of our tax code, if you if anyone could think any feature of tax code is fun, but um, other caveat is don't ask economists for any kind of romantic advice because they're generally not good at it. That said, uh, in the US tax code, if you are a spouse who has earnings and you have a spouse who doesn't have earnings, you can use your earnings to open an IRA for that spouse. And so I do a Valentine's Day blog that says, wouldn't that be a nice Valentine's present to open up an IRA for your spouse who may be in school and doesn't have earnings, who may be staying home with kids right now, or maybe taking care of an elderly parent, whatever reason, they don't have any earnings, you can give them the gift of an IRA contribution using your earnings to cover it. So I think uh, uh, another thing to think about in terms of who can have an IRA? <laughs> I'm not sure how my wife would take it. <laughs> you can blame me. <laughs> although, although, although I was laughing earlier, <laughs> I was laughing earlier because sometimes she'll come home. She'd be like, "Oh, I saved so much money today," and I'm like, "Oh no!" Like the more excited she is about it, the the worse it usually is. So. You know, the less was actually saved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's like, "I saved thirty percent." I'm like, "You spent 70 Like, I don't know if you know I'm right. a money person. Like. <laughs> So, but, um, <laughs> there's a side note. Um, and so, uh, when you're, if, if you were going to, if, if you're a parent right now and you've kind of got your stuff kind of set up right through your work and those kind of things, and you've got a young adult, you know, or soon to be young adult, um, you know, uh, in high school or college, and they're really going to want to approach the subject with their kids about getting something opened up and started and getting going early. Like how, how would you approach that? So basically, you, you want to start with, uh, you need the earnings or uh, if, if the grant you know, is eligible, you need earnings to put into the IRA. So typically someone young, if they're not working at a company that's offering a plan, in which case that's great because they'll get a whole lot of education on that there. But if you're trying to, you've got someone who's got some earnings and to encourage them to open up an IRA and show them, you know, that they can go online and do it and put the money in and then you can watch it grow. You can pick the investments together. Uh, for someone young, the other uh, important decision to make with, with regard to the IRA is what kind of IRA are you going to do? Uh, we have the traditional IRA, which has been around since 1974. It's the original IRA. And then we have Roth IRAs, which have been around. They were enacted in 1997. And with the Roth IRA, uh, you put in the money after tax. So you don't get a tax break today. While the money is in the IRA, it compounds and it grows without you paying any taxes on the earnings or capital gains or anything. And then when you take the money out in retirement, if you follow the rules, it comes out tax-free. So you kind of pay the taxes up front, no taxes while it's in there, and then you take it out tax-free in retirement. And the reason young folks are interested in the Roth IRA versus the traditional. If you think about it, when you're young, you're, it's either a part-time job or you're just starting your career and your earnings are quite low. And so your tax rate is quite low. So the tax deduction today is not as important to you. And so uh, people are sort of like, well, let's just pay those little taxes now in order to have the tax-free growth and the tax-free withdrawal. 
Uh, whereas with too, the traditional, a, you get a deduction today. There's, uh, a good, and then, there's a good chance that you won't even have taxes if you're earning very little anyway. A lot of times right. with a standard deduction, you're going to recoup it a lot of times anyway. And so I think this is a side caveat in that part of it. But yeah, yeah. I agree that like they're generally not going to earn enough to feel that tax anyway. Right. They may not have it on Tuesday when they get their paycheck, but <laughs> at the end of the year, the next year, hopefully you can recoup it. But yeah, so the, so the Roth that we see a lot of Roth IRA investors are young investors. And I think it's because they're recognizing you're, you're, you're trying to figure out what's my tax rate now versus my tax rate later and my tax rate when I take it out. Um, so with the traditional IRA, on the other hand, I get a tax deduction today if I qualify for that. I may be able to make an after-tax contribution if I can't get the deduction, but I, the growth occurs in the same way inside the traditional IRA. So nothing is taxed while it stays in the traditional. But when you take out of the traditional IRA in retirement, it's then counted, those distributions are then counted as part of income. So you pay income tax on them at that point. Uh, so it's, a, you know, it's the decision of what are my tax rates when I contribute versus what I think my tax rate will be when the money comes out. I will note that Social Security is taxed preferentially. So um, quite a few retirees may end up in a lower tax bracket at, at retirement. Uh, but, and the other sort of thought is in retirement, I'm going to have maybe my traditional for my regular withdrawals, and I might want to have a Roth sitting there for what we economists call lumpy uh, expenditures. So a lumpy expenditure is the roof leaks, the car breaks down, some big thing happens and you need some extra money to cover it. Having a Roth account allows you to take that bigger distribution with it having no impact on your income for that year. So there's a little bit of thought to, well, some tax diversification in terms of having both um, the traditional and the Roth, but we do see uh, Roth quite popular among the young uh, investors. Yeah, and it's, um, I think it's quite a bit easier to set up than I think people give, you know, the, the, it's one of those, <laughs> it's kind of one of those things like, it's almost a kind of like what Money Talkers is, right? Like we, no, we should be teaching our kids about money, but we don't want to because we think it's a hard conversation and we build it up and we make it tough. And I think a lot of times with retirement accounts, with IRAs, with, um, you know, Roth, setting up Roth IRAs, those kind of things like it's so easy now. Like it's online. Like you can go to like a, like a, you know, well, any of the big guys like Schwab's and Vanguard's and these guys, I'm like, you can go and set up an account and literally like, minutes. And yeah, no, it's very easy to open an account. Uh, it's super easy to do online. You can also, if you want to be walked through a little bit, even the direct sold places will have, you know, phone reps who can talk to you about it. Uh, so you can get some help that way. If you want more help in terms of the decision of what kind to do and what investments you're going to choose, then you do need to sort of step up to some kind of advice. And there, um, the Financial Regulatory Authority, FINRA, has a tool online called it's FINRA's Broker Check. So you can check out the individual you're thinking of, of having help you. So I think there's- Oh, that's a, a great resource. To make sure that you know you've gone to a reputable place or a reputable person. Uh, if you're at any of the big names, you're in good hands. Uh, and then you know a whole lot of information online and super easy to do. And it's also you can do the IRA little by little as well. You could actually set up that you want money to go from your checking account into the IRA. You know every 
week, every two weeks, every month, and they'll automatically transfer that little bit so that you can not worry about is the stock market up today or down today. You can do that dollar cost averaging. So I think it is uh, takes a little bit of fear out of it too that you're you're maybe setting it up to do little by little over the year rather than making one big lump purchase at a time. I, in my mind, I would absolutely suggest doing little by little because <laughs> <laughs> it's just, we all, you know, it's like, oh, we'll get this, you know, we're going to do the big lump. We're going to do that. We're going to do it. But if you just didn't feel it and the money just went away and you didn't look at it and just went away and you maybe did a review once a year, I think that's a much better strategy than I'm going to, you know, I'm going to put my $5,000 away at the end of the year. There always is something that comes up, but if you had put that away, playing off your money that wasn't in the retirement. And then I think you also feel, I think just mentally, you know that you're doing your retirement savings. So it's kind of like one of those mental like checkboxes things that you could just go about your life a little easier when you're spending money um, mm -hmm. because you know you've already done the responsible good thing you're supposed to do to start off with. <laughs> right? Yeah, and, right. And super easy to do. And again, if when you make it a little bite rather than a big you know, leap, it's uh, much easier to. Yeah. It's like those sayings, like how do you eat an elephant? Right. It's always like a little no, bite at a time. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't eat an elephant all at once. So it's, uh, I think it's, a, it's just, a, a, there's so many automation and so much easier, but I just, if people are listening to this and they're like, well, that sounds great, but man, I don't want to deal with all that. Well, listen, that 30 minutes that you have to deal with it has massive ramifications on the other end of your life. So future you will be very thankful that you took 30 minutes, didn't watch the Netflix series and went and set these things up. <laughs> and the education stuff that's there uh, nowadays is like, it's, it's phenomenal. You know, there, there's just, it's really, really in depth and simple, you know, that you can break down and read and go, if you, like I said, if you need help, there's generally going to be advisor people available to you now. And like, it's just a really great ecosystem. It's not really like it was 30 years ago where it was kind of, you were you know, a little bit, a lot more in the dark. Nowadays, it's, they lay it out for you and they make it so simple to sign up and do those things. So if you're listening to this, please take some action. <laughs> I don't normally stop in the middle of a podcast and say that, but like <laughs> this one's big because this one's scary for a lot of people, you know? And I think that you've made a lot of common sense breakdowns in our conversation today that I hope that helps people to feel less scared about it, not overwhelmed, but at least to have some resources to go out to find these things. And I was wondering if you have any other resources that come off the top of your head. As you mentioned, FINRA um, mm -hmm. was one that you could go check your broker, which I think is a really cool tool. Um, is there anything else that you really highly recommend that maybe um, if people were like, you know what? I'm doing this. Like I need to go get this set up for my kids or for myself. Like where else, what are some other tools that you can think of? So ICI has a whole lot of information on our website. So that's ICI.org. We have FAQs and we have resource centers uh, that awesome. explain about IRAs, about 401ks. We also cover education savings. So 529 plans are often a great option for folks who are uh, financing, uh, saving for college uh, education expenses for their kids or themselves. Um, we also have an education foundation, so that's ICIEF.org, which has investor materials explaining risk and return and compounding and all of these things. And then I always recommend any of the regulators, because then you're not going to someone who's selling you something. You're going yeah. to the authority that is in charge. So uh, the Department of Labor has a lot of information on, like, if you're a small employer and you want to figure out 
what kind of retirement plan you want to open. Uh, it has a booklet on that. They have a booklet about taking the mystery out of retirement, which has to do when you get to that phase of how are you going to manage these accounts or spend down these accounts or use these accounts. And then the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, which regulates mutual funds, has a whole lot of investor educational material as well. So I think, you know, looking to a site that is unbiased and, you know, regulating the products that you're looking into or considering uh, gives you really a, an unbiased uh, description of what's out there to consider. That's wonderful advice. Um... I agree. It's sometimes, you know, it, you're looking at what are they selling me, you know, and it's like, and you're kind of wondering if it's the best advice or just the best advice for them or for me, or is it just a piece of it? But if you go to the regulators, or you go to like the main sources, then uh, I think like you mentioned, you're gonna get unbiased information, uh, which is you know, about the best kind of information you can get, right? Yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> well, listen, uh, Sarah, I want to say thank you so much. And uh, if people want to find out more about what you guys are doing at ICI, they can head to ICI.org. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, and I want to say thank you very much for coming on Money Talkers with me. And then we'll stay on to do the, uh, we'll stay on to do the high impact series next. And so um, I appreciate you. Well, thanks so much for having me on. It's been great fun. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode of Money Talkers with me, your host, Cody Laughlin. If you found this episode helpful in your pursuit of financial dominance, it really helps if you make sure to leave a five-star rating and share it with your friends or family members who could use good financial information and entrepreneurial success tips. I invite you to join the Money Talkers community Facebook group. Open Facebook and search for Money Talkers to join today. Follow us on Instagram at the Money Talkers for inspirational mindset posts, encouragement, and investing tips. And remember, the one thing you can do to change your kid's financial future is to start talking about money with them because you are a money talker. <laughs>